0: You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production.
1: (laughs) Now. Can you actually hold it closer to your mouth? Sure. I think that would be better. We asked the people around us to answer one question. So, Emily, how old were you when you had your first teacher who looked like you? When I had my first teacher who looked like me, I was probably four or five years old. The white people we asked had something in common. I don't know. The first day I walked into school. I guess
0: kindergarten. So I would have been four. Probably grade one. I had a, a young white lady teacher with brown hair.
2: Kindergarten.
3: Um, I don't know. How old are you in nursery? Oh, phew,
0: kindergarten.
1: Most of them were able to identify with one of their teachers early on in their education. But the Black, Indigenous, and people of color, we asked, had a different answer. I've never had a teacher that was like an Asian female, now that I think of it.
4: I don't exactly remember the age, but I do
3: know it was in grade seven.
1: Um, I'm Chinese. I have black hair. I'm tan skin. And when I think back to teachers, I don't recall anyone looking like that. Most of my teachers were white women.
3: Um, the first time I had a teacher that looked like me, I was 10 years old. I was in grade four. Uh, his name was Mr. Stanian. He is Filipino. Um, I'm a mix of Filipino, Chinese, and Spanish. Uh, before then, I had only Caucasian teachers, both male and female.
1: Actually, almost all of the people we asked had to really think about the first time they had a teacher who wasn't white.
3: Um. um, um,
4: um
0: so... I don't think I've ever had a teacher that wasn't white.
4: My first teacher that was a person of color would have been Ms. Rambaransing, who taught law in grade 11. She was Southeast Asian.
0: Trying to think of one, not until university.
3: To be honest, the first time I had a full-time teacher that was not white was in high school. And um, that was my math teacher.
1: I think I had like one or two teachers who were Asian, Um, but most of my teachers, like definitely the majority of my teachers were white all the way through grade school. It was rare to have a teacher that wasn't a white lady.
4: I never had an immigrant teacher during any of my studies, even in my post-secondary career.
1: Since the death of George Floyd, there's been a global reckoning with race and we've all been asked to reflect on the ways in which racism exists in our lives. And it's ugly. It exists in far too many places, for too many people, and it's been going on for too long. The positive, if you want to call it that, is that it's led to more conversations with friends, family, and coworkers about what we can do to finally put an end to it. Today, We're looking at the ways racism exists in our public education system. Yes, the place that's supposed to guarantee equal opportunity for all. And to do that, we're taking a close look at one young man's experience with anti-Black racism at an Ontario school. But it starts with a conversation online.
5: Allow me to show you
1: something. I'm Stephanie Phillips, and this. Is paradigm one of our producers, Shem Parkinson, happened upon this question by accident one day,
5: so I was just, you know, scrolling through Instagram, and I came across this post that had to do with the Black Lives Matter movement. And it was discussing the different areas in our society where racism is prevalent. And then it brought up the school system. And at the end of the post, it asked this question. How old were you when you had your first teacher who looked like you?
1: And at first, he didn't know the answer.
5: Honestly, I hadn't even thought about it before. But it did make me stop and think. I even asked my mom and she couldn't remember.
1: Then it hit him.
5: I didn't have my first black teacher until I was 16.
1: This sent him on a bit of a journey. Shem's going to take it from here.
5: Honestly, I couldn't believe it. 16? Could that be right? And then the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I was also often the only black kid in the classroom. That's just not something that I had thought about before, but it did start to make me wonder, what would my educational experience have been like if I'd had my first black teacher in, let's say, kindergarten? or if I had a few Black teachers over the years, or if every teacher I had 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 been Black. And how does this impact other Black students? Uh, When did you first have your first Black teacher, Ziffian? My first Black teacher? Grade 10? This is Ziffian, but people close to him call him Ziff. He's 19 years old now and just started his studies at the University of Windsor. He's a talented kid. Learn how to play the piano at just 13 years old.
1: I'm not gonna be singing, I'm gonna be playing the piano. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna be playing. Fair Elise by Beethoven.
5: Play basketball and soccer competitively.
3: <laughs> the game. The game. The game. Nice try, Zip.
5: Hi. Ziffian also looked up to US President Barack Obama, even did a speech on him. Actually, he kind of sounded a little like him, too.
4: Who still questions the
2: power
0: of our democracy. Tonight is your answer. Mm -hmm.
5: You know, there's a lot of similarities between Zippian and I. I mean, we both grew up in the GTA. We both attended Ontario public schools. Uh, And he and I were around the same age when we had our first black teacher. We were both in high school, well on our ways into transitioning into men. We'd already been in the public school for roughly 13 years at that point. And I'm going to date myself a little bit, but it's been 16 years since I was in public school. Got to say, it's uh, it's a little hard not to feel frustrated that so many years later,
4: things don't seem to be getting much better. In terms of the students, we were always cool. But when it comes to teachers, teachers were short-tempered. They didn't really give me much leeway. So it'll be myself and a friend will do the exact same thing. You'll get away with it, but I'll get yelled at. Your friend being non-Black. Exactly.
5: Or being a white friend.
4: Exactly. Public school was
5: full of these types of situations for Ziffian. Microaggressions or uncomfortable encounters that make you go, uh, is this racist? And it started young, like all the way back when he was just seven years old.
3: The first incident that I could remember in grade two was when he said to me, my teacher yelled at me so hard because my grapes fell on the ground. All her spit went in my face.
5: This is Charlene Grant. She's Ziphian's mom.
3: She was yelling at him um, for his grapes falling all over the floor. His grapes fell. And she thought he did it on purpose. And she yelled at him so close and so hard in his face, her spit went all over his
5: face. And do, I mean, I know this is a long time ago. Do you remember that at all or, or how that made you feel at the time? I'm embarrassed. I asked Charlene what she thought when Zifian came home and told her this.
3: To be honest, I was very, um, surprised. I was like, what do you mean this happened?
5: You hear Charlene say that she was surprised? That's because the Ziffian she had at home was fun-loving, precocious, vibrant, and a pleasure to be around. The way the school was describing him was in complete contrast to the kid that she was raising at home. She had to ask herself, why is he behaving one way at home and then like a completely different kid at school? How frustrating that must be for a parent.
3: So in those early years, a lot of the things that he experienced and came home with, I didn't even realize at the time they were microaggression. I didn't realize they were racially motivated.
5: Like any parent, Charlene wanted to trust the school and her son's teachers, right? I mean, she believed that they had Ziff's best interests at heart. And who could blame her? As a parent, you're sending your kid or your children to school, leaving them there every day under the belief that not only are they going to learn something— but that they'll be kept safe. But these things just continue to happen.
3: I didn't realize the magnitude of his experiences until he got to grade four of some of the things he was experiencing. I remember him saying to me one day that, mom, they don't like me. They treat me differently. Whatever happened, it's usually my fault. And I get blamed for everything. And I remember when he said that, I hugged him so tight. I think I almost broke his ribs because I'm like, what do you mean? Don't say that. You know, that's not true. And being so young, I don't think he even knew how to articulate what was happening to him. But he knew it was wrong and that it made it seem as if he was disliked.
5: It was at this point where things changed for Charlene she began to question whether the teacher's treatment of Ziffian was proportional to his behavior.
3: I remember getting a call once, and this was where I think things changed for me and the way I look at things with Ziff. We got a call to come in because Ziff was in the office. And when I got there, the vice principal was with him. And I kind of, I could hear her speaking to him and she was loud. So I kind of used my fingertips and pushed open the door that he was in. And when he saw me, he just exhaled in tears.
5: For Charlene, it seemed extreme for a teacher to be yelling at her son until her spit was flying on his face, and very inappropriate for a vice principal to be yelling at him alone in her office until he burst into tears. The child that the school was describing just didn't match the son that she was raising at home. The breaking point for her came when she became aware of a conversation that happened between two white teachers in the teacher's lounge where they were using coded racist language to complain that they didn't want Ziffian in their class. And that's kind of how this goes, right? Small incidents can occur where teachers just seem to have a little less patience for black children. A white child might get labeled as imaginative, whereas a black child might get labeled as disruptive. A white child could be identified as a leader. A black child might get labeled as aggressive. When these microaggressions continue to occur and continue to build, it then becomes a little difficult to ignore. One incident taken on its own might not seem like a big deal, but year after year it builds and it has this bigger impact. And that's exactly what these microaggressions can do. Could start off with a maybe slick comment about the way we dress and then suddenly put on a do-rag on my head or I wear baggy pants and I'm a thug with a lengthy rap sheet. Can't tell you how many of my black friends have told me very similar stories of developing almost, almost like a self-hate for their black skin just because of the amount of times and the different ways that their skin color was pointed out in some sort of negative way or they were treated like an outsider simply because of the way that they look. Imagine constantly being told that you are not good enough or that you're bad. You know what that does to a child? You know the pain and the frustration of that can last well into adulthood?
4: You don't have to look any farther than the schoolyard to find despicable intolerance. A
1: 2014 assault that saw a black 17-year-old boy being beaten by a group of white students while being called the N-word. The Confederate flag had to be banned because a number
2: of students were showing up to class with it on their clothes and backpacks.
5: In the photo, you see the back of a young student's head and their braids. Next to it is an image of a character with a similar hairstyle, holding a gun. Below is the caption, who rocked it better? Laugh out loud.
1: Three white students, two males and a female are seen in a car repeatedly using the n-word. A mother contacted us outraged over a confederate flag that was hanging
2: inside her son's classroom. One high schooler's tribute to his grandmother was replaced
1: with a racist message which was printed and distributed to students. Six years old and handcuffed by Peel police in school.
5: You know, I can't help but wonder if these situations might have gone a little differently had there been more Black teachers in the classroom. But in Ontario, it seems that they're few and far between.
2: So in Ontario, it is actually looking pretty bad.
5: This is Tana Turner. She's an independent consultant who focuses primarily on equity, diversity, and inclusion work. She helps organizations understand what their equity issues are and then helps them strategize ways to address those issues. I wanted to talk to her to get a better idea of just how systemic this issue really is. Tana analyzed the numbers, and she came up with the teacher diversity gap. I had her explain that to me.
2: The teacher diversity gap is the difference between the diversity of our teacher workforce in the province and the composition of the
5: students. Basically, what Tana found is that while roughly 26 percent of students in Ontario are racialized, only 10 percent of high school teachers and 9 percent of elementary school teachers are racialized.
2: And actually what I did was compared Ontario to the teacher diversity gap in some of the states in the U.S., and it's actually worse here than in, let's say, New York, even Mississippi and Alabama. We like to think and we're taught in school that Canada was, you know, safe haven for African-Americans fleeing slavery. And we fail to reflect on and even learn about the slavery that was happening here. Even segregated schools Mm -hmm. happened here was legal in Ontario.
5: Yes, you heard that right. Segregated schools in Ontario.
2: Yeah, and this is um, what I find interesting is not very many people know that legally segregated schools did happen in Ontario. And in the 1850s, when African-Americans were coming across the border in larger numbers to flee slavery and settling in southwestern Ontario, white parents began to get upset to the number of black students in the schools and started to lobby what's now the provincial government in order to keep black students out of the schools.
5: So when the school system was being established, the wishes of the white parents were honored and the legal segregation of schools was embedded into the Educational Act. So-called black schools were not kept to the same standard as the white schools. They were described as dark, poorly lit, The kids were trying to learn in basement classrooms in the dark. The plumbing was terrible with chemical toilets that needed to be flushed out with a pail of water daily. Bathrooms that smelled overwhelmingly of wine and chemicals. And the only source of fresh water was a pump on the schoolyard. Ontario schools were built on a foundation that didn't care about black students. The system was built to prioritize the fear and hate of white parents over the educational experience of black students.
2: So for 114 years, schools were actually allowed to be segregated by race in Ontario.
5: Things changed in 1964 when Leonard Brathwaite, the first Black provincial legislator in Canada, stood on the floor of provincial parliament and made a speech criticizing the laws allowing for segregated schools in Ontario. The next year, the last segregated school in Ontario finally closed. Now think about that for a second. 1965 was not that long ago. So what's happened since then?
2: I think there are a number of factors. First of all is
5: the pipeline. Let me explain this pipeline a little bit. To become a teacher, you have to get good grades in high school, right? You have to go to a university, and then you have to get into a good one. And while you're there, you got to get good grades. Then you have to try to get into a teacher's college, and while you're there, you better do well. And that whole time, you may never have a black teacher. You could be getting graded more harshly, punished more frequently, or even just dealing with the mental exhaustion of constantly having to question, was that racist? It's kind of like going up the creek without a paddle, making those achievement milestones more difficult than they are for non-black indigenous people of color. And even then, if you do everything right, you do everything perfect, you stop still could have a hard time finding a job.
2: Certainly, the provincial government has been slow to recognizing systemic racism and slow to implement policies that would actually address these issues. I think part of the issue was when Mike Harris repealed the employment equity
5: legislation. If you don't know, Mike Harris was the premier of Ontario from 1995 to 2002. Here he is in an address to Ontarians talking about the changes to the province's education plan. Regardless of our politics, we all want our students to get the best education there is. The Employment Equity Act that Tana mentioned was the law that promoted equity in the workplace, ensuring that all employees receive equal opportunities and that employees are treated fairly by their employers. Essentially, it was the law to protect you from unfair treatment and any form of discrimination.
2: The legislation went away, but certainly the demographic changes continued. And the pace of of racial diversity in the province fast outpaces, you know, the increase in the population. We're relying on immigration and certainly racialized people make up a large proportion of immigrants and newcomers. And certainly more and more we're seeing an increase in uh, racialized and particularly black students or black children who are born in this country. That population is growing exponentially and we are not paying attention to who are in these classrooms and these outcomes for these children.
5: And not paying attention to who's in these classrooms, well, that can have consequences for Black students who, much like Ziffian and I, have to wait well into our teenage years of school before we ever have a teacher that looks like us. So when Mike Harris's government repealed the Employment Equity Act, he made it so that school boards didn't have to concern themselves with whether or not Ziffian and I would ever have a teacher that looked like us. This allowed for nepotism in the school boards to thrive.
2: Hiring based on who you know, not what you know. Fully qualified Black teachers who graduate from teachers' colleges don't necessarily have the opportunity to even work within the school boards, right, and get the jobs. There's concerns about young white teachers who have a relative in the board being hired over Black and other racialized teachers who have decades of experience and who have been occasional teachers
0: with that particular board for, you know, sometimes decades.
5: So I wanted to talk to one of these Black teachers.
0: I did volunteer. I did all the things that, you know, you're told to do as a quote-unquote new teacher.
5: This is Deborah Buchanan-Walford. She's an adult day school teacher here in Ontario.
0: And I volunteered actually in one school for almost three years. And when the reason I moved on from there, when positions came up, I, I wasn't even considered.
5: Deborah trained as a teacher in Jamaica, did all the training that was required there, then came to Canada and did all the training that was required to teach here. And when she got to Canada, she heard...
0: People would say most of the people there are not racialized, so they're going to hire people that look like them and people that they have networks
5: with. Ontario's public schools are divided into boards, and each board has slightly different policies and different practices for hiring teachers. But at every board in the province, it's generally understood that there are tiers for teachers looking to get a job. So essentially, you start out as an occasional supply teacher and you work your way up until a permanent position becomes available inside the classroom. When Deborah was volunteering, a permanent position outside of the classroom became available. So basically, she'd have a secure job, but just wouldn't have her own class. But she was passed over for that job. And when she asked why, she was told she was overqualified.
0: And I'm like, you know, this is a gateway to the classroom,
5: right? Right.
0: So why wouldn't you let me have that opportunity? And it happened twice. And after that, I, I just said no more. So I left the volunteering and I decided to try other things. And then that's how I heard about the Continuing Education Program.
5: The Continuing Education Program in Ontario serves adults looking to complete high school level course credits that they didn't get when they were teenagers for whatever reason. For example, people looking to get some extra science credits they need to get into a university program, or maybe a recent immigrant looking to go to post-secondary education with credits that don't directly transfer. Or it could be someone who struggled to complete high school as a teenager. But teaching in the continuing education program was not Deborah's first choice.
0: As a teacher, I am dreamed to teach middle school and high school. So I was looking for work for a long time, and it was nigh impossible to get hired. And fortunately, I stumbled upon the continuing education program in Toronto.
5: Deborah spoke to me about some of the challenges of teaching in an adult education program.
0: If I went to teach in a regular high school, as we call them, I would have my salary, my benefits, I don't have that in the adult school. Just because I'm teaching adults, I am all of a sudden a temporary worker. I'm paid hourly. I have no health benefits. I have no prep time, which means that I'm only paid when I'm standing in the room room. teaching the students. The government also cut the funding for all adult programs by 66%, knowing that those programs predominantly serve racialized communities. It is a death trap, if you will. And we also have schools that the classrooms, they're poorly maintained. I've had classes where students had to sit almost at the door because it was too full to fit in there. The building was built for like 30-something. I always have at least 45, 50 students We are like the microcosm of systemic racism. The ugly stepsister hidden in the back that no one knows about.
5: Deborah was held back in her career because of systemic racism against Black teachers. But she also saw how that same system affected Black students.
0: Most of the times, the children getting sent down to the office, the children getting told they're too loud, the children getting told they're not dressed appropriately or they're not groomed appropriately are the children of color. Despite the fact that you know, the other white children are just as low. They're yelling, they're playing with each other. Oh. But I saw it clear as day that a lot of their natural behaviors would be categorized as, you know, rude bad, or, or bad, bad yes. when, it, when it's them. Um, hairstyles, you know, things like that um, would be told that they're inappropriate for their age. They would use, you know, euphemisms and gaslighting, but we all know. We know,
5: we know. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. We know all too well. We know all too well. But a lot of people still don't. What Deborah is saying is that Black students get treated more harshly by their non Black teachers and the system as a whole. And Black students, well, they can forget about getting any empathy outside of the educational system because they are viewed as the problem, which only adds to the criticism leveled at them. Here's Tana Turner again explaining that phenomenon.
2: People see this year after year after year after year. And if you don't think there is something wrong with the education system, what happens is you think that there's something wrong with those children. There's something wrong with the black community and how they value education. And don't reflect on what's been happening for these students since kindergarten to create these outcomes.
5: If you're told that a child is acting up at school, it must begin at home, right? So, come with me for a second. Let's take a look at what was happening inside Charlene's home when it comes to Zipion.
3: I started putting sticky notes in him and his sister's lunchbox.
5: Okay, what were those sticky notes for?
3: Like, it's very sad when I think about this. Those sticky notes was always a note encouraging him or a note telling him how much I love him. I felt like he was getting so many negativity. I wanted him, when he, whenever he opened his lunchbox, he would see these notes.
5: Do you remember that, Ziff?
4: Remember those notes? Yeah. How did those make you feel? The first, especially the first time when I seen it, I was surprised because uh, I opened up my lunchbox and it kind of fell out and I was like, oh, what is this? And I read it and then over time, it just became a thing that I would always keep them. So they were always in my um, desk. I had like a, stack of sticky notes from every single lunch because I would open it snack time lunch time and there was a sticky note so I'll always keep the sticky note for uh, forever pretty much. I remember I mentioned the story where he told me they don't like me. I remember
3: that day telling him listen who wouldn't like you? Who wouldn't like you? are So you're handsome, you're gorgeous. I remember speaking all that love and life and encouragement into him. So those sticky notes was to remind him that regardless of what he was facing at school, this is how I feel about him. This is who you are. And I remember in grade five, I went to the school for uh, a parent-teacher's meeting and I was waiting for him for his teacher to come to us at his desk. And that's when I realized the impact the notes were were having on him because he kept them all in a Ziploc bag in his desk. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, he's really, these notes really make a difference. And I also remember once I was rushing for work and I forgot, and he called me from the office saying, mom, you forgot something in my lunchbox. And I'm like, what, you didn't get any lunch? He goes, no, my sticky notes. And I thought, damn it, they do work. Hey,
1: don't go anywhere, but we're going to take a quick break and come right back.
5: When it came time for Zip to move on to high school, he and his family were excited for a fresh start and assumed the worst was behind them. (sighs) Unfortunately, racism would rear its ugly head, once again at the hands of a teacher.
4: I was sitting out because we had basketball, I had a basketball game. I was on the basketball team.
5: What what grade is it, Sarah? This, Sorry, this was grade nine.
4: Grade nine. Okay. Okay. I was sitting out and he wasn't necessarily my gym teacher, but the class was split up in two. So we split half and half. And he was sitting beside me and I caught a vibe that he didn't like me. So I asked him, Sir, why don't you like me? And he goes, I don't like you because I know kids like you. Kids like you don't have Any type of rules that you follow during the summer, you just go about your life and do whatever you want. So once you come to school in September, you don't want to follow the rules of the school. And if that wasn't bad enough? There was another encounter with a teacher where I had went to the locker room to go get something. And he had told his class, because I wasn't in his class, he had told his class that they should go check on me because I might be in this change room stealing their phones, stealing whatever the case can be. And the thing is, I didn't know about it in the moment. It wasn't until the next day in first period when I had a lot of those guys in that gym class were also in my drama class. So they came up to me and he said, this is what he was saying yesterday during gym. What are you going to do about it?
5: What Ziffian did first was go home and tell his mom.
3: I wrote a letter immediately demanding an investigation. The school, the principal did an investigation, but their investigation includes just asking the teacher and the teacher denying it. And I said, what about the students that heard it? Are you going to investigate, with, uh, speak to them or speak to Ziff? So they spoke to the 11 students that heard and the school response back to us was, <laughs> they said they he said it. Some said they don't remember. Some said they heard, but majority of them said he said it. However, he was just trying to protect the other students in his class. And I said, who was protecting my son?
5: Who was protecting my son? You know, that's a question that Black mothers have been asking for generations. School boards across Ontario have dedicated to providing more resources for teaching students about anti-Black racism and also highlighting Black accomplishments and contributions. But unless it's required in the curriculum, most of that is just optional teaching. And also, why is the work being left up to the students? School boards conduct internal investigations into their teachers after an incident occurs. But the teacher that racially profiled Ziffian and accused him of stealing in front of an entire class of his peers is still teaching at that very same school today. Look, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of great teachers all across Ontario teachers that are dedicated to creating safe and supportive learning environments so that all of their students can thrive. But it only takes one bad teacher to derail a child's self-esteem and their education progress. And school boards in urban centers closer to Toronto are beginning to develop these action plans to combat anti-Black racism. But what happens to the black students going to schools outside of these boards where they might be the only black kid in the entire school? I was one of those students. Do they just get left behind? Unless these programs are province-wide, black students will continue to be left behind. At the end of the day, expecting the school system to hold itself accountable is kind of like asking the police to police the police.
3: And that was the moment when we filed our human rights complaint, because that was the moment that we realized that we needed to do something else because this is bigger than us.
1: Families who say they are fed up with complaints of racism at the York Region District School Board falling on deaf ears have now taken their fight to the Human Rights Commission. They say the board has an issue with systemic racism that can no longer be ignored.
5: In the end, they didn't have to hold a hearing. The board decided to settle and offered a monetary settlement, an apology to Ziffian and his family, and most importantly, a promise to prevent this from happening to any other child.
2: Having reviewed the report, the observations included are profoundly troubling to me. In particular,
1: those which describe feelings of alienation, marginalization, and discrimination. The review found that trustees who wanted to speak out stayed
3: quiet in fear of retaliation. This is stuff that we've been fighting for. Whenever we complain, shrug shoulders, no answers. Um, so we're pleased and we are willing to work. We've always said this. We've always, we're always willing to show up at the table.
5: For her part, Charlene is working to hold them to that promise. She is a committee member of the Parents of Black Children Organization in New York Region.
3: There's three things that we are doing.
5: Firstly, whether you're an educator or a student, they're holding you accountable.
3: Whether it's a racial joke, whether it's a racial slur, whether it's blatant hate crime, we're reporting it to the police as a crime or an incident. We're reporting educators to the Ontario College of Teachers. And if we need be, we're going to file a human rights complaint.
5: Secondly, they're focusing on Black teachers.
3: We're having meetings with unions to see how they could work with us to help their Black members as well as Black students.
5: And thirdly, they're lobbying the provincial government to create a position for a systems navigator in every jurisdiction of Ontario. So basically, this person would help Black families and Black children to navigate the school system and act as their advocate, directing them towards services they may need.
3: We're going to make this parents of Black children a chapter in every single province if we can.
5: After everything he's been through, I asked Ziffian if he's optimistic that change is going to come.
4: I'm definitely hopeful. Change is definitely going to happen because there's people in place who want to make the change, who don't sleep because they want to make the change. Like for my mother, her and parents of black children are constantly doing things to better the education system. And I definitely think there's going to be some type of change. It's great that he's
5: optimistic. You know, it's great that he's hopeful. But I can't help but wonder, why is it always left up to us black people? to play superhero in our own tragic story.
3: I still live with a lot of guilt that I miss some of the things that Ziffian came home with or what he experienced that I didn't catch it earlier. It's just a mama's guilt. I know I shouldn't be, but it's still there.
5: How unfair is that? After everything Charlene has done for her son, to still carry around that guilt? And it's not just guilt. I mean, stop for a second and imagine the amount of energy it took for Charlene and Ziffian. Do you have any idea how exhausting all of this is? Being a student already has its challenges, right? I mean, you have to focus on getting good grades to try and maybe get into a good college or university if that's the route you decide to take. Now try being a black student. You have to deal with racism You have to try and overcome the effects it can have on your self-esteem, your self-worth, all while you're just fighting for people to respect you, fighting for your peers and your teachers just to see you, see your blackness and all the good that comes with it and not just use it as a weapon against you. A weapon. (laughs) You know, for a long time, it's felt like people viewed my black skin as just that. A weapon, some sort of threat to their personal safety. My skin. You know, too often people tolerate this blackness if it can entertain them, right? Or if they can profit off it. This starts at school. Black students are almost dissuaded from applying to university and streamlined into athletics or entertainment as if we can't also be doctors lawyers, or scientists. And yes, we can entertain, and you know what? We're damn good at it. But the school system, much like the justice, political, and economic systems, seek to place limits on us. And you know what? We are limitless. Okay, so my question to you is this, and and, and this was a little while ago, but did it resonate or hit differently in any way, shape or form, walking into class that first day and seeing, oh, wait a minute, I have a teacher that looks like me in terms of skin tone. Did that resonate differently? Did did, did, did you feel like you had a different relationship with that teacher in any way, shape or form?
4: It definitely did because they understood me more, especially in my history class. On the first day, she let us know that we were going to be studying Black history and throughout all my years of school, we never did black history as a unit. It was also just, it was always just done February, February and throughout the school. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Talk about slaves. That's exactly. pretty much
5: it. Nothing else.
4: But in grade 10, she told us about how black people contributed to the war. And before that, I didn't know that. A lot of the kids in my class didn't know that. And... It definitely hit differently to see that and see us in a positive light from just the negative ones we see on TV.
3: Right away, the first time we met her, she told us how much of a leader he is and how influential she goes, You have a special one on your hand because she said the entire class just gravitates to him and everybody else wants to be around him. So it made a difference.
1: Paradigm is presented by the Frequency Podcast Network. And it's created by Annalisa Nielsen and me, Stephanie Phillips. This episode is produced by Shem Parkinson and Annalisa Nielsen. Audio mix by Ryan Clark. Thanks for listening. We'll see you here next week. And if you like the show, please do us a favor. Subscribe, rate, and review in your podcast player.